This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With that, a very warm welcome into episode number 78 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. In person today at the uh, the Mill headquarters in New York City. I'm sitting right next to Sam Dykstra. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. What's going on? It's, it's always nice to it's so strange. It's always good to be here. Yeah. It's good to no, be they, here. Things flow so much easier. Yeah, like The definitely. chemistry just works so you much know, better it's, now. They actually have to keep us in separate locations because the chemistry is so good. Yeah. It would just like the building would burn down <laughs> or something. Today we're on the side of the... Uh, of the building here in Chelsea Market actually facing Google. Last time we just made jokes about how they were probably listening to us. Today they're probably watching as well. Yeah, they, it, listening. The, the sign they have outside our building yeah. is like our version of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. <laughs> just constantly watching over us, letting us know that he's there. Big Brother is watching. Yeah, him. Big Google is just always present. Yeah, Big Google. That's a good way to put it. Big Google. It is a little, it's a little disconcerting. But, uh, yeah, so here we are. It's the 78th edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. And before we get rolling on today's show, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts on iTunes and on the Stitcher app now. We've been there for, I think, just over a month now on Stitcher, which is, uh, which is some good stuff. You can find us there and give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that good stuff. And you can always contact the show as well, podcast at MILB.com. We're here to take your lists of boat owners or um, <laughs> lists of, I think one this week was like roofing enthusiasts or something. It was something really Something weird like that, yeah. one of the weirder ones that we've gotten so far um but no we'll actually also take your questions on uh you know baseball and yeah. baseball related things i mean whatever Generally. you're into yeah yeah if you're, if you're into roofs and baseball yeah we'll, we'll roofs take your baseball um you know random uh lawn implements i think we've gotten those from time to time so uh yeah that's that's what we're here for. We're here to we're here to talk you through all of your roofing questions on this baseball podcast. Um, but we do start today on uh, on a really down note. This has been one of the heaviest weeks in baseball that really, I mean, I can remember in my entire life um, with the passing of Marlins star Jose Fernandez on Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, overnight. Um, from Saturday into Sunday. Um, and Sam and I are going to talk about that and talk about, you know, Jose Fernandez had a very, very short spell in the minor leagues. It was very fitting for Jose Fernandez that he barely spent time. Uh, Fernandez pitched in, you know, a season and a half, basically, of minor league ball. And then the Marlins at the beginning of the 2013 season said, I don't think we even need to see you above high A. Come on up to Miami, kid. And we never saw him again, except in rehab capacity at the minor league level. But um, Fernandez passing away Sunday. Actually, the first person that I talked to about it was you on Sunday morning. And I I woke up, uh, you know, and groggily rolled over and checked my phone, as I'm sure tens of millions of people did in the way that they found out. And I, I don't think I've ever sat upright as quickly as when I saw that on my screen. The first thing that I saw was, uh, you know, due to the passing of Marlins pitcher Jose Fernandez, today's game between the Braves and Marlins has been canceled. And I thought there is no way that Jose Fernandez, of everybody in baseball, there's no way that this is real. And here we are, you know, four days later. And it today felt like progress because I think it was 20 minutes after I woke up that I thought about it for the first time. And that, for some reason, feels like, oh, okay, well, maybe we're getting there a little bit. 
Yeah. It's just awful. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like progress, and at the same time, you know, we're recording this now, and I think his uh, services are going, you know, on Wednesday afternoon. And I've seen a picture since we just sat down and started this podcast of all the players just surrounding, I think it was the hearse, um, driving it through the, the community. And there's been so many images like that, you know, since Sunday. Um, you know, one of the most – I wrote this on Twitter, so pardon me if you're, you've already seen me say this, but I had a teacher in high school who hated whenever we used the word awesome. Just hated it. You know, it, it, words are supposed to have meanings. You know, awesome is supposed to mean full of awe. It's supposed to leave you with your jaw on the floor. Uh, D. Gordon's home run, uh, you know, hours – after wearing, you know, the RIP shirt, trying to fight his way through a baseball game, uh, you know, through a day and a half of tears on a, our side, on his side, on everybody's side in baseball, everybody around Miami, um, everybody in the Cuban-American community. And to see him hit that home run, you know, it's just been a, a series of moments like that where you realize this, this feels like something because he's gone. And you keep thinking – Maybe this is like Tommy John surgery. I hate to put it that way. And, you know, he went under Tommy John surgery, and I think when that happened, I just screamed no. I was like, because yeah. we were losing a pitcher for a year. Right. And now we've lost him forever. And, you know, Jose Fernandez's story is very personal to me because you mentioned, you know, he came into baseball in 2011. His first full minor league season was 2012. That was my first full season covering the minor leagues. Um, you know, since we work in baseball, since we interview players a lot, people have asked me, D- did you know him at all? I can't say that I did. I'm not going to make that claim. But I did interview him a couple times. I think the first thing he ever told me, I talked to him after five strong innings in Greensboro. I said, well, what did you think of tonight? And he, the first thing he said, which was perfectly Jose Fernandez, it's cold. <laughs> uh, you know, this was a, a kid. He was still a teenager, still 19 years old. Um entering the pros and just still that sunny personality despite the temperature still shine through um but my my favorite personal jose fernandez story was that year we wrote i wrote uh the milby for starting pitcher best starting pitcher in the minors uh jose that year went 14 and 1 1.75 era it uh 158 strikeouts 134 names about as cut and dry as that award ever has been since i've been here and you know i, I wrote it up I tried to get him texting him, calling him, went through the Marlins. Marlins said they couldn't get him. And, you know, at the time they were trying to get a high A prospect. This isn't, I know that's not easy. Um, and so I, I kind of gave up on it and I reached out to some Marlins guys, got some quotes from there and ran the story. And he, uh, a couple Weeks later, I get a call from a Florida number, and I just answer the phone. I don't normally answer the phone when I don't understand the – or if I'm not expecting a call or if I don't understand the the number. And it was Florida, and I just say, hello, and he's like, hi, this is Jose. And I'm trying to think, Jose, who could Jose – and then I remember I had been trying to reach this guy a month ago. And I was like, oh, hi, Jose, what's up? And he's just like, you've been trying to call me. I'm so sorry. Like, I've been in the Dominican Republic with family for a while and I just didn't have my phone and I got back to all your messages and I'm so sorry I, I didn't get you what what's going on 
So I told him, you, you've won a, an award. You've won our Milby Award. And he was like a kid on Christmas morning. Uh, again, still a teenager, so I guess that makes sense. But he, <laughs> like, we've talked to guys, and they don't get excited when we talk to them. It's yeah. just another phone call for them. He was legitimately excited to talk to us, to talk to me. And it was just a conversation. I didn't record it, and, of course, I'm kicking myself now that I yeah. don't have that. Um, but, yeah, he was as excited as any minor leaguer as I've ever interviewed. And it stayed that way. You know, he made his major league debut that, that next spring. Uh, he's been in the majors now four years, and that never left him. And it's so amazing when that happens. I mean, we see guys get ground down so much. This was a guy – the first thing you think of when Jose Fernandez isn't his pitches, aren't yeah. his pitches. It's his smile. Yeah. And that's going to live on forever. And that's what I'm going to miss is just the guy's love of the game and just love of people. That That's what stands out with him above any other quality. And I think, thankfully, we're seeing that a lot more now in this young generation of ballplayers. But he was – the guy that you thought of when you thought of that energetic this new age era of guys who are okay with flipping your bad guys who are okay with celebrating who are who are human who want to show off the excitement and the love that they have for the sport he was the embodiment of that and i the thought that i think i finally crystallized the reason why this has been so devastating the last few days. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 31 years old now. I've seen athletes die young in the past, and it's always sad. But for whatever reason, you know, I'm not a Marlins fan. I've seen Jose Fernandez pitch. I started with MILB the year after, uh, actually two years after his last uh, minor league pitch was thrown as a prospect. Um, and so I didn't get a chance to talk to him. You know, I've seen him throw in person a couple of times, but I've never, I've never met him. I never talked to him, anything like that. And still – he's someone that you gravitate towards so much. And I think the way that I finally was able to crystallize it in my head is that we all want to live. Everybody wants to live. You want to do something in your life that makes it seem like it's all worthwhile, but nobody seemed as alive as Jose Fernandez. And that to me is what really embodies him and what embodies what we lost in him. And uh, I mean, that that's what makes it so difficult is there are players who come and players who go and talents that come and talents that go, but a personality like that, uh, a heart like that, someone with that enjoyment, someone with that fire, someone, uh, you know, the, the ability to go out every single day, even when he's not throwing. I mean, the guy's not starting. He's on the top step of the dugout. He's slamming the top of the, the dugout railing like a lunatic when Giancarlo Stanton hits a home run. That kind of stuff, that's what we lost. Um, as much as we lost a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and a breaking pitch that nobody's seen before, that's what we lost. And furthermore, beyond that, you know, this is a, a year where we've been inundated. We've been we've been swamped over by discussions of building walls of keeping people out of how things that are different aren't necessarily good. Jose Fernandez was the personification of all that is good about the quote unquote American dream. A guy who risked his life four times to get over here for the freedom and the opportunity that it would provide him to be here. Jose Fernandez at 14 years old was thrown in prison for trying to find that and he finally did and that's what i think feels so crushingly unfair about it is a guy who tries that three times and fails and finally makes it over here on his fourth try he only gets nine years here he, he gets nine years he gets four seasons in the major leagues where he lights up the world and everyone around him and then he's gone that's what feels so 
crushingly unfair about the whole thing. And I got a chance on Sunday to talk with his Class A manager, David Berg, who was with him in Greensboro and later on was with him uh, for rehab start in Jacksonville in 2015 after Tommy John surgery. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I answer the phone, I say, hi, David says, hi, and your first question instinctively is, how are you? And he said, you know, not good. And I apologized and said, I can't think of a stupider question to ask on a day like today. And then listening to the way he even – you know, while while fighting back the emotion of the day, even the way he was able to talk about, um, you know, some of his favorite stories about Jose, that Jose would be sitting in the stands charting, not pitching, not on the mound, not throwing a bullpen, not doing anything on the field. He'd be in the stands charting, and he'd be furious when they were losing games. Or the story that he told that, that I loved, that I led our story on MILB.com with, was in 2015, Jose came back down for a rehab start with Jacksonville when David was in Jacksonville after his Tommy John surgery. Came down, gave up a few runs, got knocked around a little bit, five innings. Um, you know, he's coming back from Tommy John. Those things are going to happen. And he came into the coach's office after the game and apologized for losing in a rehab start. And that athletes like that are so few and far between. I mean, like you said, we talked to guys, we talked to a hundred guys a season. A lot of them are, are very much in the same boat of kind of that effervescent love of the sport. But there are a lot of them that, yeah, it's a job. I mean, right. a job is a job. And a lot of guys are, they're happy to talk to you. You know, they'll, they'll tell you what they were thinking on a, a three, two changeup that they hit for a homer or how they got out of an inning by getting a double play ball, whatever it is. But for somebody like him, it was just so different. And that's what we lost in Jose Fernandez. And that's what's so devastating about it to me. Yeah. Um, we texted afterwards and yeah, I use this analogy and I don't use it lightly and, Losing Jose Fernandez is losing Jose Fernandez, and that's all it is. Um, but to put it in context, for kind of our generation, this is like losing Roberto Clemente yeah. without getting to experience the full Roberto Clemente. I mean, Roberto Clemente had so much more to give the world, as we know, you know, dying in that plane crash um, while trying to give you know aid. But Jose Fernandez was just such a guy who left such an impact – not only on just baseball, not only just on Miami, not just on the Cuban community, but anybody who watched him. Um, nobody had a bad word to say about him, which, you know, that's happened so much in death. You know, we don't want to remember the bad things about people. But after a couple hours, sometimes it's the, the well actually used sometimes come out. And for anybody listening who ever thought, like, well, there's got to be another side to this guy, there wasn't. Yeah. Everything you heard about Jose Fernandez was true. All you have to do is watch that video of him and his grandmother. Yeah. And lose it like the 15 times I did this week. Yeah. And when you have the genuine article, like it felt like we did with Jose, it, you you start to wonder if you're ever going to get something like that back again. And I, I don't think we will. You know, I don't think we can ever find that smile again um and it just it it hurts so much anybody who's ever grieved knows this to start using the past tense and that's what i keep coming back to is you know i mentioned before it, it feels like okay guys are knocked out for the season all the time that's that's what's going to happen we're going to show up in spring and it's going to be he's going to be here and painfully trying to remind myself that's not the case is like going through it 
all over again every time. And, you know, I, I, I'm proud of the baseball community for the way it acknowledged who he was and the way we're treasuring him now and that maybe someday, you know, the kids of now who are watching are saying, look, and look, it, there was a guy who enjoyed the hell out of the game and was celebrated for it. And having fun is good. You know, this is a guy who lived life, and that is good. And that is something we all want to be. And that might be the legacy of Jose Fernandez, and I'm grateful for every minute we had with him. I wish we could have more. And it's going to take a while until I'm over that. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, I think that that puts it really well. The, you know, the way that I'll always remember Jose Fernandez, there are two memories that stick out um, – one of which a couple of years ago he and uh carlos gonzalez of the rockies had had a, a pregame conversation where hernandez fernandez being being jose fernandez said i'm gonna strike you out and this is how i'm gonna do it cargo ends up hitting like a 420 foot homer off of him and as soon as fernandez saw the ball go off the bat he started laughing to himself right. yeah. um that uh and earlier this year at dodger stadium jose fernandez is batting against kenta maida and Maeda throws him this bizarre knuckling changeup. And in the middle of his swing, Jose Fernandez starts laughing at it and then looks out of the mound and goes, what was that? And pointed at him like, what is this pitch? And then went back to the dugout and started miming the pitch (laughs) to everybody in the dugout. Like, that's the Jose Fernandez that that is the most crushing part of losing him was it wasn't just a generational talent. Um, You know, it wasn't just somebody who on the field – was appointment television or was you know somebody that you gladly paid admission to see um because that attitude that love that vibrancy doesn't come along often in any in any facet in life and for some reason it seems like it especially doesn't come along often enough in sports and in athletes we like athletes we like the way that certain athletes comport themselves but for somebody to just have the childlike glee that we all attached to the game of baseball and to have it constantly through every day of his life to have it in the way he embraced the the cuban community in in miami the way he tried to fight childhood brain cancer um the you know the stuff that he did for youth organizations in miami in the sport out of the sport all of that stuff he was just such a a lighthouse to so many people and the fact that at 24 years old he's gone feels so unfair and not gone in a way that makes sense but gone in a way where you feel like he was ripped from you unfairly and that's it just it's it's mind-boggling to me that we're having this conversation about jose fernandez of all people it just you sit here and you still keep thinking to yourself at some point i'm gonna wake up from this we're all gonna wake up from this but um you know it's uh it's one of the toughest things that I, you know, remember the baseball community going through at all in my lifetime. I mean, there have been other really, really tragic, really heartbreaking deaths. Nick Aidenhart comes to mind, the former Angels top prospect who was killed uh, by a drunk driver after, I believe, after his first major league outing. Um, you know, there have been things like that, but the the gravity of Jose Fernandez and who he was and the fact that we no longer have him around is something that uh, has been crushing for, for the last few days. And um, not not an easy thing for any of us to digest. No, and I, you know, want to highlight too is you know we we've taken a, a lot of this personally, and I'm grateful for that that we have this personal connection with a player, um, and with a community, you know, in, in that way. But um, you know, please keep your thoughts with the Fernandez family. Yeah, 
um, you know, as Tyler mentioned, all they had done to get here, uh, to enjoy life here in the United States and, you know, just be with one another, all they had gone through. And, and you know, I, I read stories, you know, it, this is from his point of view, Aledmus Diaz with the Cardinals, you know, wanted to stay with the Fernandez family. He was one of Jose's best friends in Cuba. And, you know, the grandmother, the one I mentioned before, who, who came here surprised Jose, and now they were together as a family, um, kept saying he wasn't supposed to leave before I was. Um, so as much of a loss as it is for us to miss seeing him, you know, from April to October, um, you know, they, they miss his light every day. And keep them in your thoughts, and we'd be remiss if we didn't think about them as well. Show before the show continues with uh, some baseball conversation next. We're going to move on to some on-the-field topics, and uh, we'll start off three strikes this week with some World Baseball Classic talk. We uh, discussed the WBC last week with Team Brazil's Bo Bichette, uh, but the Brazilians did not play for uh, a berth in the World Baseball Classic, didn't make it to that final game in the Brooklyn Qualifier, and it is uh, Israel that will be coming out of this bracket that's the final of four qualifying pools this year. It's an interesting team, Israel. Uh, there's a lot of kind of MILB.com favorites on that team. Cody Decker sort of leads the charge, uh, but an interesting team. Team, team full of some native-born Israelis, a lot of players from the United States as well, and they really rolled through. I mean, what they, once they got past Brazil, a nine-one win in the uh, in the final game over Great Britain. Um, but it was, a, it was a fun weekend. Yeah, no, that that Israeli team uh, was one that I was looking at. You mentioned it was one of a lot of MILB.com favorites. It just seemed to have a lot of guys who were very similar profiles. I mean, you had Cody Decker, as you mentioned, Ike Davis. Another guy playing first base. Nate Fryman, another guy playing first base. Josh Satin, another guy with experience there. Uh, so that was a really crowded infield. I know they moved those guys around a lot. Decker played at third. Uh, Fryman got some time at first. Davis was DHing in that final game. Satin played a little bit at second base. Um, you know, also Ryan Labarnway, a former major leaguer with, I think, both the Orioles and the Red Sox. So they, they had a lot of names you'd recognize. And in that department, maybe they were the favorites. I think we kind of mentioned that last week. And they, they came through. I mean, that 9-1 victory over Great Britain in the final uh, to clinch their way to Seoul uh, was you know the dominant performance you would kind of hope for out of a team like that with a lot of major league experience. And, uh, yeah, they were able to seal the deal. It will be really interesting to see what happens to them, you know, come the spring. I mean, those are a lot of guys who are probably going to be looking for major league jobs or even minor league jobs. I know Cody Decker is going to be a free agent this year, uh, so he has to take time you know, to go to Seoul instead of trying to try out, make a spot in a spring training team or at a, for a team in spring training. But, you know, you, you hear all the interviews with those guys. It sounded like they, you know, formed a, a nice brotherhood in the couple of days down there in Brooklyn at Coney Island. And, you know, they, they all seem pumped to go, to go play on the international stage there in Seoul. Yeah, and I mean, that's the, the neat thing about it is it's an experience that not a lot of people get in their careers, period. And so if you do have that chance, you know, next spring to be part of the roster that goes over to Korea, um, it's something that I would imagine a lot of those guys are going to want to take. But like you said, I mean, guys are going to be fighting for jobs, are going to be looking for jobs. Um, so that sort of throws a wrench into to what it could be potentially in March. But um, that group is going to be really, really tough. The four qualifiers this year, which were held in Sydney, 
Mexicali. Uh, the third one this year was in Panama at Estadio uh, Nacional Rod Carew in Panama City. And then this most recent one in Brooklyn. But the four teams to come out of those, Australia, uh, Colombia came out of the qualifier in Panama, Mexico, and now, of course, Israel. But they move on, and basically all of them just get brutal draws. I mean, the Australian team uh, goes into a group in which they'll play Japan and Cuba. Um, the Cuban national team is not what it's been in seasons past, but still a very talented team, one of the top-ranked teams in the world. Japan is the world number one. They're always fantastic at every level of national competition. China's in there as well, so the Australians get a tough draw. Colombia goes against the United States, reigning champions from the Dominican Republic, Canada. That's in their group. That'll be in Miami in March. Mexico gets actually to stay at home against Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and Italy, but then the Israeli team will go play Korea, Chinese Taipei, and the Netherlands, which is a really, really rough draw. But at the same time, not, nobody else is doing this. I mean, if you're part of that team, right. that's awesome. That's a cool experience. Whether you go out there and get waxed, I mean, we've seen teams that have gone in and really made some noise. We talked to Bo Bichette about the way Brazil played in the 2013 tournament when they went out a one-run loss to Cuba, a one-run loss to Japan. I mean, these teams, these quote-unquote Cinderella stories, really have a chance to make some noise. Yeah, and it's just so much more fun when they do make noise, right? Like, it doesn't matter. If they get blown out, okay, that's what we expected. But the possibility of them getting a win over, say, Chinese Taipei right. or the Netherlands, which, you know, the Netherlands don't think it's just going to be all these guys from, you know, Europe. It's a lot of guys from Aruba, yeah. you know, Xander Bogart. So the kingdom of the Netherlands. The kingdom of the Netherlands, yeah. right. Um, so, the, you know, that'll be a really exciting team. They, if they were to upset any of those teams, we'd be talking about it for a while. Yeah. So, um, you know, just to be a poss- just to be included in that, um, just for that to be a possibility is, is fun enough. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've, I mean, we talked about the WBC last week um, and and what a fun event it really is, but it's going to be some really interesting groups. It gets started uh, the first round of the WBC. gets started March 7th through the 10th in Tokyo. And go check Skydome, which I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation of that, but that is the home of the Nexon Heroes and the Korea Baseball Organization in Seoul. Uh, those two brackets from the ninth to the or from the seventh to the tenth, from the ninth to the twelfth in Miami and in Guadalajara are Pool C and Pool D. That's where the United States team will be there in Pool C uh, at Marlins Park in Miami. And so it's gonna be fun. It's the, it's you know it's still six months away, but I'm kind of nerding out, geeked about it now. <laughs> well, now that we know what teams are playing, yeah, I mean, exactly. Now is the time to do it. We we have months in between that we can forget about it, but for now is the time. Now. Get excited. Strike two, Sam. This is a good tool shed piece, a good couple of tool shed pieces that are up on the site this week, uh, nearing the conclusion of the Major League regular season. And we, you know, we've talked so often this year about how last year was the year of the prospect. But this year, we've had a whole lot of guys who've made some massive impacts. We projected on the site what guys could look like in Major League time. Uh, and now we sort of see the results bearing themselves out. Overachievers and underachievers, let's talk first about the people who have overperformed at the Major League level and rookies. Yeah, so if anybody remembers, from February, even January, I think a couple of them came out. We use what, you know, Fangraphs has this tool called Steamer 600 Projections. Um, it's called Steamer 600 because it's based on 600 plate appearances for position players, but that's obviously not true for everything. So it's 600 for position players, 450 plate appearances for catchers uh, because they obviously are normally getting less playing time given the, the taxing, uh, you know, what what they get taxed on with the, at that position. Uh, 200 innings pitched for starters and 65 innings pitched for relievers. Um, so, you know, we had those kind of projections there looking at what would X prospect look like over a full season. And then, you know, I thought, well, it's, it's only right if we're going to be writing about that in, in the preseason. 
that you know as Major League Baseball comes to a close this week, we should kind of circle back on that and look at what you know projections were good, which ones were bad, um, who beat their projections and who w- went under and why. Uh, so I led that the piece. The first one's up right now on the overachievers uh, with Corey Seager, who you know is the runaway best rookie in baseball right now. Uh, I think he's worth 7.6 WAR. Uh, the next closest position player in baseball is Trey Turner at 3.2. Uh, Seager is. We all thought he would be you know, a serviceable shortstop, a, a really good one at, out the jump, um, but he's gone from you know just a rookie that we thought could be good to one of the best position players in baseball. I think he's tied for third right now in war behind Mike Trout and Chris Bryant, and he's tied with Mookie Betts. So that is the company in which he's keeping right now. Uh, nobody could have projected that at the beginning of the year. Nobody thought he was going to be a seven-war player. Uh, you know, you simply just don't do that unless you're talking about a Mike Trout. But um, So he, he's the guy I kind of lead with. The, the guy I want to touch on the most right now is – Gary Sanchez, just because he's such the toast of baseball right now when it comes to rookies. A guy that was called up at the beginning of August already has 20 homers. That's 20 homers in 51 games career, counting the two he had last year, which ties a major league record quickest rookie to 20 uh, home runs. And that's just simply not anything he had done at any other level before. You know, We had always talked about he has some pop. He certainly has a good arm. He's going to provide the Yankees with a lot of value in either way. But you know, we thought he might build himself to be a 20-homer hitter, not a guy who could hit 20 homers over two months. Um, any projection system that you know could do that would be scrapped immediately. I mean, there's just nothing that in anybody's right mind where you would think that this was possible out of a guy to tie a major league record. Um, so just to touch on what the actual projection said at the beginning of the year, according to Steamer 600, because he is a catcher, it's in 450 plate appearances, but they had him down for a – for 17 homers in those 450 plate appearances, a 96 WRC plus, which is roundabout average, uh, a 249, 299, 427 slash line. So good numbers, not, but certainly not what he's doing right now, uh, which is a 316, 390, 701 <laughs> line. Again, that's a 701 slugging percentage. That's like a lot of guys would be happy with that as an OPS. Oh yeah, for sure. No, just slug, especially for catchers. Why not? Like, yeah. yeah, you would just be happy to have that, and it's he's ridiculous. got that on top of a 390 OBP. So that translates to a 185 WRC plus, about 85 percent above the average major league hitter. Uh, that's only only over 213 plate appearances. So. I'm sure if the season went on for two more months, that would kind of equal out at some point. But, yeah, this run that Gary Sanchez is on, nobody could have seen this coming, I don't think. It's pretty remarkable. And, it, uh, yeah, I mean, eventually it's always the caution that you come across with prospects is that eventually people will figure them out. Um, and at some point, Gary Sanchez will be – he'll resemble more – of the prospect, the player, the major leaguer that people probably forecasted him as, um, maybe with a little bit more of an offensive profile uh, than what the initial projections were, because nobody can keep this up forever. But while it's going on, it's one of the most exciting things to watch. When guys get locked in like this, especially to watch to start a career, watching things like that happen in sports, that's among the, the most entertaining, most fun things. Oh, yeah, and it, I think – Every time, especially living in New York, just every time he homers, everybody's like, there's no way he could have done yeah, that again. Yeah. It, you would think at some point it would just be like, oh, of course, Gary Sanchez, he's going to homer in every at bat, but we still don't have that belief that right. he can keep doing it. 
Like, you keep thinking, like, it is going to even out at some point. It just hasn't. Still hasn't. It's been two months, and it still hasn't. Uh, some other guys who were uh, discussed in Toolshed on the overperforming side, Alex Bregman, Trey Turner, uh, Michael Fulmer of the Detroit Tigers, who's kind of, I don't want to say flown under the radar, but I don't think he's talked about um, in the in the same way that a lot of prospects on the pitching side. And maybe it's just because we've been so, there's been such a glut of brilliant position player prospects. But I don't feel like people have talked about Michael Fulmer quite as much uh, as maybe we would have in seasons past when there weren't so many really, really good position player guys to focus on. But he's another one who's been out uh, on the front lines uh, as somebody who's performed a little bit better than uh, what was projected coming into 2016. On the flip side of that, guys who are under uh, what we expected from them getting their careers started there's a lot of them there's some head scratchers on that side of it uh but who stands out among those to you yeah it's funny you mentioned fulmer because you know when i was coming up with these lists uh, it started to kind of hit me that a lot of the guys who had underperformed this year i feel like are pitchers you know fulmer is really the guy who's gone above and beyond and become like a really good alex reyes i would put in that same category you know he's pitching even better than we thought at the major league level uh, I would love to know. You know. I would love to have more data. I think maybe Jose De Leon would fit in there. Julio Urias is about where we thought he would be, maybe. Um, but a lot of the guys, a lot of these top talents, haven't quite lived up to to their billing or their projections. Uh, the guy I want to kind of highlight is Cody Reed. Um, you know, coming into this year, he was a guy. This was going to be his first full season in the Red System uh, after coming over from the Royals. A lot of people really liked what he had done in spring training. I remember the quote from Joey Votto saying, have you seen what Reed does? Like, this guy's going to be a huge guy for us. Uh, played a little bit at, at AAA Louisville, then got the bump, you know, immediately only after 13 st- – or he, he made 13 starts for them this season. Uh, but at the major league level, just never put it together. He had a 7.36 ERA in 10 starts, uh, 43 strikeouts in 47 and two-thirds innings. So, you know – peripherals were kind of there for him but the yeah he was just leaving the ball over the plate the batters were hitting an average of 328 against him um which is a great average no matter what and you don't want to see that out of your starting pitcher um so he was doing a lot of leaving the ball over you know 12 homers and 47 and two-thirds innings that's one every four innings i mean that's almost that that is over two home runs per nine innings um so he was just getting shellacked i mean a lot of that comes down to you know, in the minors, maybe against some of these other guys, you can get by on stuff alone if you're going to leave it in the zone. Uh, the, you know, they might not be able to hit your slider. They might not catch up to your fastball uh, if you're going to just throw strikes like that. But in the majors, you know, you can't catch too much of the plate. And I kind of feel like that was the problem with Reed. Um, you know, for the people who like wins and losses, boiled it down to that way. Kind of shout out to my mom. She tried quoting wins and losses to me a couple weeks ago. Aww. I know. It was it was disappointing. But... Um, <laughs> For those people who do like that, Cody Reed 0-7 on the year this year in those 10 starts for the Reds. So, you know, certainly not translating into wins immediately. It's a rebuilding Reds team. You know, they'd rather him get his feet wet right now, figure out those problems going into next year. I don't think they're overly worried yet, but uh, Cody Reed certainly not a guy who would hit the ground running in quite the way we would have hoped or expected. One of the guys that we discussed before we got started today is Jose Barrios in the Twins organization. And what's kind of crazy is this now, I don't know if we can say that it is becoming a pattern with the Twins, but the Twins have had uh, a handful of prospects who have been as good as any talent in the minor league system coming up. Miguel Sano, Byron Bucks, and Jose Barrios, and guys who've just not 
thrived, not broken out at the major league level the way we've seen a lot of these other prospects. Miguel Sano has had his stretches where he's been very good. Byron Buxton, I think we're still waiting on him. Uh, and Jose Barrios has had a rough season this year. And But oddly enough, not a triple-A. No, no, he's been fantastic at triple-A. I mean, he's been everything we thought he would be at triple-A. You know, he... Uh, 2.51 ERA in 17 starts, 125 strikeouts versus only 36 walks and 111 and one-thirds innings. I mean, he's been everything we thought he would be at Rochester, and you would say, okay, like if he's doing these numbers, you need to call him up. And when they finally did, kind of the same problem as uh, Reed, a little less or a little different in that, yeah, he just couldn't find the strike zone as much. Um, You know, and part of that you wonder is, maybe his confidence you know he had 32 walks and 53 in a third innings with an 8.61 era a 1.91 whip um you know this was a guy who you know was struggling to find the strike zone at times and when he did i think kind of a similar problem to read and that when he did he left a little too much over i mean he needed to find the black more than he did the white uh again 12 homers and 53 and a third innings um that's almost two a game at that point he certainly has the stuff. He has the the clean delivery. I mean, I, I think that's the Twins' biggest problem now is how do you fix that? Right. Uh, it's so easy to say, oh, you just need mechanical fixes. But everything we hear about Barrios is that you know his form is good, his pitches are good. He just needs to find the experience, and now he has it, and it isn't good experience. So how do you turn around that chip? I don't have the answer, and I, I would love to know what the Twins are going to do with him. It's so strange because it's not you know, as if the stuff doesn't play at the major league level, and it's so weird when you watch a guy make that leap from something that he does with consistency at a minor league level, as Berrios does throwing strikes, getting strikeouts, pounding the zone at AAA, and then all of a sudden that just abates when he gets to the major league level, and you do kind of wonder, does then it turn into a mental thing? Then are you worried about you know when a guy steps on the mound and goes, I just can't do it here, and I don't know why? And Berrios is a guy who is very in tune with what he is, what makes him a good pitcher. Um, you know, I mean, his preparation is legendary in minor league baseball for the way that he's gotten after, you know, his last few years getting set to start climbing toward the upper minors in a, in a major league rotation job. But yeah, when you keep running out there every five days and the results aren't there, he's only put together one outing at the major league level in which he didn't walk anyone uh in the majority of his outings this year he's got multiple walks and you just don't see that from him in AAA, and it's so strange how that stuff pulls together sometimes yeah and you know he i brought up his confidence but he was a guy who was always confident yeah. whenever we talked to him yeah i remember a couple of years ago talking to him when or one of us talked to him i think it was ash marshall uh talked to him when you know he was coming off a class a advanced double a season and he said i want to pitch for the twins on opening day you know that's where he was and i you know, I haven't talked to him in a little while. It's it's been a bit since he's been back in the minors, but uh, you know, you would hope that confidence hasn't gone away from him because it, it seemed like it was such a driver for him, knowing that he could dominate anytime he's on the mound. So that's three strikes for this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the WBC with the, uh, a cornerstone of that Team Israel side that is headed on to Seoul, South Korea in 2017, their first berth in the 16-team round of the World Baseball Classic. Cody Decker, who uh, cracked his way into the big leagues last season as a member of the San Diego Padres after a long minor league road to get there and is a legendary in uh, minor leaguer in his filmmaking skills and his, you know, uh, somewhat stand-up comedic skills. I wonder if he's ever tried stand-up comedy. I, I would imagine so. I'd have to ask him that. We, we will have to ask him Okay. That. Cody Decker, Team Israel, and uh, the, the minor league park nearest and dearest to you as he is one of everyone's favorites. Cody Decker, coming up next. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, as we discussed a little bit ago, the final qualifier of four 2016 World Baseball Classic qualifiers wrapped up just a few days ago in Brooklyn, New York, at the home of the Brooklyn Cyclones. And we are joined by Team Israel's Cody Decker as the Israeli national team is on to the round of 16 of the WBC coming up next March in Seoul, South Korea. Cody, welcome, man. How are you? How's the offseason going? I mean, the offseason's literally been a day and a half. so (laughs) (laughs) So pretty good otherwise then. Yeah, not, not too bad. <laughs> well, let's talk about the uh, about the WBC thing. I mean, this is a tumultuous year for you in the minor leagues, obviously, starting with the Royals, some time with the Colorado organization, and with the Red Sox. But you get done, you get out of the minor league season, and the WBC comes up. And this is something that you've been through before as part of the team in 2012 when you guys came really close to, to qualifying for the 2013 tournament. But being involved in this a second time through and making it through the way you did, this team playing so well, uh, what was this qualifier experience like for you? You know, um, honestly, I, we did, I don't think any of us expected to be as emotional as it actually was. Because um, when, we, when we got knocked out last time uh, by Spain, you know, you lose a double elimination tournament, one game in a double elimination tournament, and it's an extra innings in the championship. It just it, it didn't, it didn't taste good for four years. So when I say that this was just, like, felt magical, it really was. It, there's no other better way to say it than – this was just this experience was uh untouched in my baseball career nice and how how did that team kind of come together you know over a short span of time like that um you know there's some i i I would well i would i would love to tell you that but you see that that's um oh I, i i would love to but i'm not going to you see my my methods on how to enjoy a team and bring it together are my methods. I start telling you, then you tell someone else, and now another team has the chemistry that I've helped put together okay, that's fair. with my teammates, and I don't want that. That's 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 for me to be better than them at. But right, so, let's so put it this way. It, 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 it had to do with a lot of interviews with a lot of players and getting everybody to loosen up and having as much fun as possible. And, I mean – you know, doing doing all your work, but making sure the younger guys see that the older guys are having fun. Because if this isn't fun, then why are we doing this? Right. So let me ask the question of a slightly different way. Then, how long does that process take? Then, is it one or two practices, or does it take, you know, until that final game for everything to kind of click? I think to get a team together, it's not even the practices. The practices don't really bring the guys closer together and feel like a family. I think it's everything you do in between the games. You know, the, the everything that's written out for you is written out. That's all. The, that's the that's the text. Everyone everyone can always get the text. It's the subtext in between that you need to to you know fill in. That's how a team comes together. Uh, so we did everything from activities to just making sure the bus rides were fun. You know, we, we had fun. We had, we became a close-knit group. And what helped is a lot of us already knew each other. Nine of us had already played together. Uh, and a good amount of us played against each other. So it was it was like we already knew each other. And we all had this common thing. We all had this one thing in common that we were all Jewish, which is a very rare thing in baseball. I've, I've mentioned in other uh, interviews that I've only played with, you know, other Jewish players a very few times since I was in Little League. I mean, there's never been more than two or three on any team I've ever played on with the exception of Team Israel. 
Cody, when you look at, um, you know, this collection of guys, uh, there's always that discussion surrounding the teams in the WBC of what the connections are for players to be on the roster and all that kind of stuff. And for, for Team Israel, it's very unique in the, the qualifications for players to be uh, considered for that roster. What was it that enabled you to be able to, um, you know, apply for a spot on that roster? We talked to Bo Bichette last week uh, for the Brazilian team. His mom was born in Brazil. That was kind of his connection there. How did you first get involved in this back in 2012? Well, it started mainly, mainly it started because I'm Jewish. You know, I'm, an, I'm a Jewish American kid, but my uncle was also born in Israel. Uh, he was adopted. He, uh, he passed away a few years ago, but he, he was born in Israel. So I had multiple, uh, multiple um, ties to play for the team. So have you been there before? I mean, have you ever gone to Israel, traveled over there? Or have, what's, the, what's the feedback been from the Israeli baseball community? Because people probably don't know there is a decent-sized baseball community in Israel itself. There was a domestic league there for a short time that has since gone away. But, um, I mean, what's the, what's the connection been like from, from you guys as a team with what's going on there in the, the baseball community? I mean, the feedback has been unbelievable. It's been absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I've gotten messages. I've spoken to like personally there was that night after we won there was a soldier uh, israeli soldier that flew out for the tournament and he was just he was basically in tears saying i flew out for this i you know i'm gonna be there in seoul i'm gonna fly out for that too you know base baseball has been was such a big part of his life that you know he needed he wanted to be a part of something this special and and it's and, and there was something we said a lot in the thing you know after 2012 uh, participation in Israel and, and baseball, especially with youth groups, has gone up 40% than since prior to 2012. Now that we won this tournament, I can only imagine how much it's going to grow. And that's the whole idea. I mean, that's the whole idea of the WBC to begin with, you know, uh, is to grow baseball globally in places where it hasn't necessarily been before. And, um, I mean, the feedback, the feedback I've gotten from people in Israel and, uh, you know, Jewish Americans over here has been overwhelming. You have no idea the amount of positive feedback I've gotten back. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what, what were you guys talking about in the room? Was it, were you using that as a motivator, saying, like, there's all these Jewish American kids, all these Jewish people across the world or in Israel, or was it just, here's a baseball game that we have and we all have this, you know, like, common thing that amongst us, let's go win it. For that or was it you know how much were you guys peppering up I knew the gravity of that i think a few of us knew the gravity of that more than the younger guys who were doing it for the first time the guys that have been there did this last time knew but and we didn't really want to we didn't want to make it a focal point of our team because just like in anything in baseball last thing you do need to do is add undue pressure to any game you know just go out and play your game so we try to best to treat it like a game just an average game while having as much fun as possible but you could see the team's reaction when we would score a run but Blake Galen at a two-run home run you saw you you never heard a louder dugout in your life you know we, we would come into the we, we would come in the dugout after every run and I would make sure the whole team uh I'd get the whole team together right at the one where we're all shaking hands, and we'd, we'd, I'd scream, out, give me two claps and a Ric Flair woo, and you hear the whole team just, woo! <laughs> uh, and when I hit my home run, I came in the dugout, and before I shook anyone's hand, I just immediately yelled at the team, like, can I get two claps and a Ric Flair woo? And the, you get the whole, you got a, a dugout of 25 adults doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was Cody, about as fun that- as it could be. 
one of the things that's neat about this roster too is this mix of you know guys like you who are are not old players but are the veteran guys on this roster but even from your perspective there are guys who are veterans to you i mean jason marquis who hasn't pitched since 2015 was coming off a tommy john surgery he gets the start in that last game um you know i know there are some guys who have seen some time some israeli born players who are older guys on that roster i mean the mix was so wide ranging what was that dynamic like for some of these older guys who are maybe on their you know the last legs of their careers to mix with some of the younger guys you know it, it was it was never really brought there was no separation of old veterans and the younger guys at any point it was, it was you you the guys that wanted to get in, the information from those guys the Gladly, they were, it was just—it was a very tight-knit team. You had a guy like Craig Breslow, who's been in the big leagues forever. Like we joked on the mound when Breslow came in on, into the game in the in the uh, uh, the eighth inning. He comes in in the eighth inning, and it's in the infield is me, Nate Fryman, uh, who have been around for a good amount of time, been teammates many times. We had a Mitch Glasser at second base, and we had Bertram at shortstop, who was a young, like 21, 22-year-old kid. So coming to the mound is Breslow, and right away Nate just looks over and he's like, man, Brez, just take a uh, Breslow, just take a breath. We know this is the most important game you've ever been in. <laughs> so you just need – I know it's, I know your nerves are pretty out there, but just, you know, take it easy. We got your back. And, you know, me and, me and Mitch are laughing, and I don't know if Bertram really understood why we were laughing. But it was just everyone was everyone was relaxed and easy, and it no, there was no separation between the veterans and the youngest guy on the team. It was, it was a true team. It was a, it was as close. It sounds cliche, but it was as close to a family atmosphere as you're ever going to see in baseball. Nice. So well, now we got to pivot to to Seoul, and uh, you know, coming up in March. Now that you guys have qualified for that, you're going to be in a group with South Korea, Chinese Taipei. Uh, the Kingdom of the Netherlands. You know, what are your expectations for just that experience, and what are your expectations for just the competition when you're over there? I know uh, the only thing I can really expect is the competition is going to be pretty good. I mean, those are uh, if you ever watched the WBC, especially the last time, the Netherlands always has a has a team of studs, and Korea. You know, they went deep into the tournament last time. Korea is a team of studs, and and Chinese Taipei. I mean, they have. That 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 is that you want to talk about a community that's grown in baseball over the past twenty years. I mean that's this is gonna we're going into a tough bracket. We know that, but if we go into it with the right mindset, just to play our game, especially in this tournament style baseball, you don't have to play off atmosphere. Anything can happen, and we know right out the right out the gate we have enough talent to go out and play with anyone. Period. We know that. We just need to go out and play our game and not try and add any undue pressure on it. Just like that's. Just play the game of baseball. It's, 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 it, we know what to do. As for how it's going to feel, uh, I, I'm, I'm going in with no expectation. I'm going in ready to have some fun. I'm going to bring back Mench on the bench. We're going to have a blast. <laughs> <laughs> we hoped you would. We were going to ask you about that. I mean, I know you can't give us all of the specifics because of the mystique that already surrounds Mench on the bench, but just for the people who didn't get a chance to tune into the games last week, explain his presence uh, in the dugout and what he meant to you guys as, uh, as the qualifier went on. Well, first I want to point out what he is. He's a Mench, <laughs> and he's on a bench. That alone. As the name would suggest. I just want to point out, it's pretty self-explanatory what he brings to the table. <laughs> it, I mean, it's right there in his name, Mench on a bench. What does he bring to the table? Well, he's a Mench, and he's going to be on a 
bench, and we're putting him on his bench on a bench, which makes it like it's like a it's like a double decker taco from Taco Bell. It's a taco and a burrito yeah, like, mixed into one. It's like it Inception. It is, it is purely – I didn't want to use the Inception reference because I said it in another interview and I wanted to sound more original. But to quote myself, it is like Inception. It is a dream within a dream within a dream. It is a bench on a bench within a bench. I mean, it's – and it's perfect. It, what does it bring to the team? Fun. It, you know, you come in – I mean, you, what if you go out there and make an error? Everyone makes errors. You make an error and you come in, you slam your glove on the bench just like everyone else sees and you look to your right and then there's a bench on a bench there. <laughs> are you gonna, are you going to be are you going to be angry at the bench or are you going to finally just look at yourself and just say what the hell am I doing we're playing baseball that is hilarious let's play ball <laughs> How, who can Go be mad looking another... at the bench on a bench who, I could have caged five times in that game slammed my helmet walked in and see the bench I'm like okay never mind all right, no, we're good. We're good here. Let, yeah, let me good. ask you about another, um, a more lively member of the staff rather than just the, the placid, stoic mention the bench. But um, uh, somebody we've had on the podcast before, Justine Siegel helped out as a member of the coaching staff for you guys, a mental skills coach. Of course, Justine, she's made headlines across the baseball world, um, you know, helped out in instructional league with the Oakland Athletics last year. She's thrown batting practice to major league teams. She's worked in spring training, all that kind of stuff. She joined the coaching staff. And, you know, kind of it's another notch on her belt. It's another one of her accomplishments uh, as a, a female baseball coach, baseball instructor who continues kind of breaking down these barriers um, and being a part of a, a veteran coaching staff. Jerry Weinstein, your manager, has been a longtime coach in the minor leagues uh, in the Rockies organization currently. But for Justine, having her there, what was that like for you guys to have somebody who provides kind of a different experience with all of her life experiences in baseball so far? But Justine, you know, she threw some BP. She was great to be around. She was you know, she was great to have her. Um, as for the backstory, we didn't, we didn't, we almost, I think we only got into her backstory one time when we were all doing introductions. She was great. She was great to be around. In terms of recruiting for next year, I mean, is this the, the team that's going to be going to Seoul? Or are you guys going to turn to somebody like Ryan Braun, Ian Kinsler, try to recruit the, you know some of the Jewish ballplayers in the majors right now uh, to try to recruit them over to, to bolster the lineup going into to Seoul next March? I'm not recruiting anyone. That's not my job. <laughs> I'm a baseball player. I, I, I do what I'm told. Again, I know nothing about anything. I just I literally show up when they tell me to show up. I hope we – I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for whatever we do. We add more players, great. If we go out with this exact team, I'm ready. We're ready to go. Um, but, you know, how can you not want to add a, a guy like Ryan Braun or – Kinsler or Pilar, you know, these are hell great ball players. You know, anything that can help both the team a little bit is, you know, everything helps. Based on uh, what I saw last weekend in Los Angeles, I know that he is 80 years old, but based on how he looks, I would imagine Sandy Koufax could probably go out and start for you in that tournament also because that dude looks better at 80 than I look at 31, and that makes me really upset. So just another one to keep in mind. Um, but, uh, Cody, before we let you go, one thing we wanted to, to ask you about, we I know you guys didn't get a chance to play them, but the, the Pakistan national team was such a cool storyline going into this qualifier. You guys didn't see them. You beat the, the Great Britain national team twice, and you took down Brazil in your one matchup with them. But Pakistan, 
is so unique in the scope of the WBC because they fielded an entirely native-born roster, and they sort of knew going in that it was going to be an uphill battle, and they were mercy-ruled in their two games. But being uh, you know, able to be a part of a competition where you're taking on or you're at least playing around a team like that, what was that like for you guys to you know be around uh, a group of guys who have you know they'd never played on a real baseball field before? There's only I think two actual baseball facilities in the entire country of Pakistan. They've mostly been playing on you know just dirt patches that they've been lent um, in various locations in the country, and then they come over. They're playing on a, a minor league ballpark. That must have been really cool to witness that. It was awesome. The only thing I was sad about we didn't get to be around them a little more, you know, and, and kind of talk to them and pick their brain and vice versa, so they could have been around more guys who have been you know part of the game. Um, I just thought it was awesome. I think that you know, growing baseball, growing in any part of the any part of the world is fantastic, and if, and if that can grow in that part of the uh, the world, that's I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? Build as, use the game to build as many bridges as you can. You know, this this game has the capability of uniting people and countries. This is it was it was really special to have them there, and uh, you know. I hope they. I really hope they enjoyed every second of it. And I hope they. I hope they get to grow as a nation with the game, just like everyone else. He is the anti-hero Cody Decker. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Decker6. He's one of our favorites and has been throughout his entire career. And, uh, Cody, we're really looking forward to watching you in March in, uh, in Seoul in a tough bracket, and it's going to be a ton of fun for you guys. And thanks a ton for joining us. And, you know, best of luck getting down to Venezuela if you ever get down to Venezuela. We were talking before we got started that you apparently are heading there for winter ball, but uh, you don't know when. <laughs> Not a clue. I'm assuming Saturday, but that's, uh, that's the rumor. And, and I, I usually don't like to subscribe to rumors. I like facts. There you go. <laughs> Probably a good way to go. Thing. However it works out, man. Best of luck the rest of the offseason, and uh, we'll be watching in March. Uh, yeah. By the way, can you start retweeting more of my things? You guys have really got a little lax on my stuff, <laughs> and I haven't really appreciated we'll it. We'll see what we can do. Because it's been it, we, you we guys are the right people. I feel pretty abandoned. So. We'll see. We'll do, we'll do so. We're like we're two rooms away from where they do all the tweeting and retweeting. So we'll we'll put in a word. Yeah. Can you get them to clean it up? <laughs> <laughs> Cody, thanks, man. No problem. Take care, guys. It is minor league promo seminar time, and that is where we find Benjamin Hill for the 78th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast uh, in Birmingham, Alabama for the 2016 promo seminar. Ben, what's going on? It's day number two. How's things at the promo seminar? Things at the promo seminar are pretty much like they always are at the promo seminar. And I would understand that most people uh, don't know what the seminar is like, so they don't know what that, that answer is meaningless to them. But um, I've been attending the Promo Seminar, which is an industry-wide minor league baseball event since 2008. And there's definitely been a lot of tweaks and changes along the way. But essentially what it is, um, I'm not, I don't even know if they're using the tagline this year, but it still applies. Uh, one idea is worth the price of admission. So generally, uh, it's just a big idea-sharing event in minor league baseball happening right after the season when uh, – the season is still fresh on everyone's mind, and it's just uh, operating under the principle that a you know rising tide lifts all boats. I believe is a cliche I keep using. Um, you know, minor league teams don't compete with one another, being in their own distinct markets, so they love to get together and you know brag about their successes and laugh about their failures and uh, kind of commiserate over the season that was, and hopefully give each other ideas that then they, that uh, you know the various attendees can take back and implement for. 2017 and beyond. So um, a lot of big speeches going on in a 
uh, hotel ballroom, and then there's uh, you know group therapy, you know kind of breakout sessions with uh, you know divided by different categories like uh, you know promotions and marketing and community relations and that sort of thing. Um, so there's opportunities you know to uh, speak in front of large crowds, which I'll be doing tomorrow, uh, being the celebrity I am in this world, and uh, also you know opportunities to really meet with your peers within a certain job and uh, share information. Yeah, and one of those, you know, idea sharing uh, sessions I wanted to touch on, you, you tweeted earlier today about the around the horn one uh, just seems like a, you know, packed ballroom of just everybody or as many people as they could in the industry in one room there. Um, what ideas were, were being shared there? I mean, what was getting the attention of other people um, during that session this morning? Well, Around the Horn is a signature event of the promo seminar, and in recent years they've expanded it. It's the entire morning uh, for the Wednesday seminar, so from 9 a.m. to noon. Um, Around the Horn, is it's always emceed by uh, Todd Parney Parnell, who's kind of an industry legend. Um, does president he of the wear Richmond Flying. the nutsy costume to do it, or does he just do it on his own? He's not in a nutsy costume, but he always wears, you know, goofy pants and makes jokes. Uh, so some of them, uh, you know, some of them that are certainly not uh, printable or repeatable uh, for uh, the public. You know, this is an industry event, so you can get a little, uh, a little off color here and there. But you know, Parney just makes a lot of jokes, keeps things light, and around the horn is basically just, just that. There is a microphone that is passed throughout a huge ballroom. Uh, row to you know person to person to person row to row to row and they just say hi I'm so and so from this team and they share uh, you know one of the greatest promo successes of the season and um, so you can if you it's kind of hard to pay attention for three straight hours without zoning off here and there and there are some breaks but it is a goldmine for people to just take notes and uh, uh, decide you know oh I, I need to look into that or I need to talk to that person later and really see what they did and you know, as someone who covers promotions throughout the year, it's kind of kind of cool to see to hear about promotions that uh, you know I covered throughout the year and that we've spoken about throughout the year, uh, talked about as turning into you know having been really great successes. Um, things like uh, you know Scranton Wilkesbury, the Rail Riders, their uh, man versus marathon race, where they had uh, teams of runners try to complete a marathon before um, the ball, uh, nine inning ball game ended. Uh, you know, you had a guy from New Orleans with the Zephyrs uh, really jumping on the Outlandish steam jersey bandwagon by wearing Nutria jerseys. You know, Nutria is being the swamp rats that are, that are prevalent in, in New Orleans. Um, you know, you had uh, Nick Carey, the GM of the Princeton Rays, the team's only full-time employee, saying uh, they had success with a pepperoni roll night and that they may think about ways to celebrate pepperoni rolls in the future, kind of uh, – you know, jumping on the food trend that's all over minor league baseball, you know, with the Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks and the Fresno tacos. Um, you have Angela from El Paso talking about how successful Kiss Jersey, uh, Kiss Night was with the Kiss themed jerseys and how that raised $20,000 in the auction, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of great ideas, and it really is a cross section and microcosm of all the things going on in minor league baseball uh, promotionally. Ben, when you uh, are the, the featured. Um, luminary, let's say tomorrow, um, because you've been doing this for a while now. What what are your duties? I mean, what do you talk about? Because the the idea of it being a, an idea sharing type of conference makes sense from people who are in these positions, but you sort of get to see it from thirty thousand feet, where all of these different promotions are going on across the country simultaneously. You kind of get to take in the full view of all of them. Like, what will you talk about tomorrow? What have you talked about in seasons past? 
Uh, this will be the fourth year that I've done a uh, presentation um, in the main ballroom, and they always give me the sort of the closer slot, if you will. Um, I consider that to be an honor. Um, Mariano Rivera, Benjamin so, Hill, Mariano Rivera. There you go. I mean, I think we're pretty much equal in skill and capability within yeah, our respective yeah, fields. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, easily. So, um, you know, it's Thursday morning. It's right before we break for lunch, and then the the rest of Thursday is uh, small group stuff and then a ballpark outing later. So I kind of close out the ballroom, maybe not because I'm the greatest of all time, like I like to believe sometimes, but because of what, Tyler, you were touching on, is that I – you know, cover the whole industry. So I'm more an overview of uh, minor league baseball instead of just representing one team. And what I do every year, I haven't really changed the basic format up, is I just go through my travels trip by trip, uh, ballpark by ballpark, chronologically. Um, you know, so there's a lot of visuals. I have pictures from everywhere I went. And I just try to highlight one or two things from every single stop that was unique or funny or interesting. So I throw in pictures of food because people are hungry and you know, these are some mouth-watering pictures, and sometimes I just, you know, put up a picture of, uh, you know, a hilarious little bit of ballpark signage or something silly. But I really do try to focus on things that that I see that other teams, you know, in keeping with the spirit of the seminar, things that other teams might, uh, you know, be able to adapt for them for themselves. And a lot of it's real small stuff. Um, you know, like, hey, if you have bingo night, do what the Spokane Indians do and have your game day employees who check the uh, bingo cards wear referee jerseys so then the fans know who to give their cards to. Little things like that. But, you know, I pick up a lot of little things throughout the course of the season and I share them and I try to make jokes and uh, I'm real nervous beforehand. Then I get on stage and I'm not nervous and I'm just like, what is this? It's a, it's a weird thing. And uh, just try to survive and uh, do it again the next year, hopefully. Survive in advance, like March Madness. <laughs> exactly. Survive in advance. Uh, one thing story. I want to touch on, you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, and you tweeted from the group therapy session today on failure. Uh, you know, how much are teams brutally honest, and, and what was one of the discussions that came up during that? I mean, what was something that somebody said this year that just utterly didn't work that they hoped would? Well, you know, in that case, that was a, a group therapy session moderated by Nate Carant. Uh, the promo director of the Charleston River Dogs. And, um, you know, he came up with that idea for the session, you know, because he's um, with the River Dogs, you know, co-ownership, including Mike Beck and Bill Murray. And uh, they kind of have the spirit where they're going to celebrate failure and perhaps more than other teams. Um, you know, Mike Beck, you know, most infamously is the the architect behind the greatest failure in minor league baseball professional history. Uh, arguably, or not minor league, major league in the form of disco demolition night. Um, but yeah, when you have teams getting together and they're not doing it for public consumption and they're not doing it, you know, for something that's going to be on their social media or their website or on their video board, they are going to be honest because everyone understands what it's like to work in this industry. And of course, things are going to go wrong over 70 games. They just have to. So it's about keeping your sense of humor, learning from your mistakes and sharing them. Um, so what Nate did, he wrote failure um, on the windows in the room we were on in a dry erase marker. And I don't know if that came out or otherwise he vandalized the hotel windows and it just says failure, <laughs> which would uh, be a pretty good graffiti tag. If I ever start uh, tagging buildings, I'm probably just going to write failure. on Failure. Them. And uh, yeah, that's going to be my graffiti name from now on actually. And uh, so all sorts of stuff uh, came up, you know, Nate, you know, with the river dogs was talking about how they were inspired by the St. Paul saints, you know, an indie team and how they had a cat 
video, internet cat video festival at the ballpark that drew 10,000 people. And then they had their own Catterday promo um, with all sorts of uh, ridiculous cat videos between innings and the PA guy saying meow batting and, uh, you know, all these sort of uh, cat things going on. But, you know, the quote I have written down is uh, didn't move the needle. People hated it, you know, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, they thought like, man, the Saints got 10,000 people for something like this. People love cat videos, but maybe in the course of a ball game with a lot of obnoxious sound effects and videos that may be out of context, uh, weren't always entertaining. I don't know. You just don't know. But that was one of one of many examples that came up and, uh, you know, then are more run of the mill. You know, you get hit with bad weather on a night that you planned heavily for and, uh you know, there you go. It's just done. You can't do it. So, you know, dealing with weather, dealing with, you know, fan apathy, dealing with staff staff apathy throughout the course of a season and how sometimes good ideas don't really get executed the way they should be. And uh, so, you know, failure is a very broad topic in minor league baseball as well as life itself. And what can you do but, but learn from it? You know, you, uh, if you fail seven out of ten times, you're a Hall of Famer, some might say. Some some in this game, you know, heard, heard a cliche like that one time. Yeah, well, if you're a batter. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess if you're if you're a pitcher, that really is not a good success rate. No, not not Hall of Fame worthy, I don't think. But you know, I don't know. Offense is on the rise. You know, we, that's we true. That is true. By the standards of their time. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Bizzle. More dispatches from Birmingham and the minor league baseball promo seminar uh, in the uh, the days and weeks to come, and still wrapping up stuff on the blog from road trips this year and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Ben. It's uh, it's good to talk to you. It's not good to be in the office and not have you be here, so I can't see your smiling face. But, uh, you know, have a safe trip back, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm here in my hotel room now, and I think I'm going to write a story about the seminar, so you should be able to check that out on the website tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, as you said, I'll keep tweeting, keep writing, and, uh, you know, the season never ends. We'll do it again next week. Yes, we will. Speak me. We shall do it. All right, putting a nice, pretty little bow on episode number 78 of the Show Before the Show podcast. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and elsewhere where you find your podcasts. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription there. Um, you know, it's uh, we always appreciate it. Always appreciate it. I haven't checked them out in a while. Have we gotten nothing but, like, 12-star reviews? We've only we've only got six-star reviews. Oh, as far good. As I know. Good. Six out of fives across the board. Yeah. So I think we're, we're pretty good on that. It's the way that. it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. From what I've heard. Um, you had a, a minor league baseball conversation outside of the realm of MILB.com recently, I, I was told. Yeah, I kind of want to end the podcast on a, on a happy note after we started on such a sad note. Um, you know, the other night I, w- I was – over my girlfriend's house and she had a friend over and uh somehow we got talking about baseball and she was talking about how she's an A's fan because she lived in Oakland for a time and but she's originally from Iowa and uh and somehow it came out and I was just like oh you know why the A's when you're from Iowa and she said well Iowa doesn't have any pro sports teams (laughs) And I was like, that's not true. You can't say that. There's the Iowa Cubs, the Cedar Rapids Colonels, the Quad Cities River Bandits. And she uh, she was like, no, no, I said pro sports teams. So please. Come on. Educate your friends. Educate your family. If there's a, a minor league team around you that you really enjoy, um, you know, start talking it up now. So by the time April comes around, 
you know, they get really excited to go to go see a minor league event, see what all this fuss is about. Um, you know, we're certainly going to going to be doing our parts on that. Yep. Um, I told her all about you know Quad Cities atmosphere, how I love watching the game there when I can, seeing the atmosphere there, the Ferris wheel, all that kind of stuff. And she seemed excited after our fifteen minute conversation. So you know, talk. If up you the get game. paid for it, it's professional. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Also, yes. before just while we're on the topic, what? Uh, What's semi-pro? You always heard, like, when you heard about baseball way back in the old days, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, oh, he yeah, played semi-pro for a while. I don't know what that means. Like, I mean, you get paid a little you bit? You get paid half, I guess. <laughs> a semi-amount? Yeah, I don't know Something like determine that? full and half, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I just, uh, I thought of that the other day because I saw a guy at Coors Field wearing a Domingo Ayala t-shirt that said, what you play semi-pro and when I commented on it, he said, you're the only person who's recognized this shirt, which made me really sad. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, but then it just got me thinking on the topic of semi-pro. If you get paid for something, it's a profession. There yes. are plenty of professional sports teams in the state of Iowa. They're just not major league sports teams. And we, we know we're uh, preaching you know. to the choir here. If you're listening to this, yeah, exactly. you know all You love it. You but love it. just, you, you know, know it. educate everybody around you. Spread the gospel. By the way, we have 16 ratings on iTunes all of them are five stars. Yes. Boom! That was yes. me dropping the mic. Not actually. That's, that's not an invitation to like. Throw yeah. In no. A don't don't go on there. Like, Please Neh. continue with the the trend. Here. These guys I like, but I'm yeah. gonna give them three stars to screw up the ratings. <laughs> Dang! Now we're just. I'm gonna have to edit this out and post, and nobody gets any wild ideas. Um. All right. That's gonna do it. Uh. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Next week we will be back with Ahmed Rosario, the top prospect in the New York Mets organization. We'll talk to Ahmed from uh, his home in the Dominican Republic, and we will also get you all set for the 2016 Arizona Fall League, which gets started the second week of October. We'll get you all prepped for that. Uh, I can't believe we're talking about the AFL already, but the AFL conversation comes up next week. And uh, until then, enjoy the conclusion of the Major League regular season, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on the wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazons of the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.